I'd like to thank our friends at Sardine for making today's episode possible. They have over 4,000 signals. From device, email intelligence, telco, and AML monitoring, the Fraud Squad is there to help you make the right decisions. They ship new features weekly to help the fight, and they are never afraid to jump right in there with you and make sure you have the rules and models you need. For everyone attending MRC this March, please be sure to visit them at booth 210 on the show floor and see what everyone is talking about. It's good to have a fraud squad behind you, and with Sardine, you get the best fraud squad around. Please visit www.sardine.ai today to learn more. Let's get to the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Fraud Boxer Podcast. I got Cambria back for another episode. So say hi, Cambria. Hey, good to be back. <laughs> yeah. Any, anything changed since we talked the last time, you know? Uh, not too much. I think my hair might be a little different, but that's uh, par for the course. The diffuser, more... right? The diffuser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to embrace the curl. It's still trying. My hair's still trying to figure out what's going on. But um, other than that, just... Still at Forder, I think what's changed the most is that um, I know more about how to actually do my job now. I think the last oh. time Belk, I had just recently joined the team, so still kind of getting my bearings as far as you know what Forder is, what it means to the industry, kind of the impact that it's having, as well as shifting from the customer success side of the business to a pre-sales focused role and supporting the sales process a little bit more directly. So I think that's yeah. the major. And I think that's why we have you here today is we are going to talk about sales. So I did a podcast with another individual back in December of 21 that a lot of folks said they got a lot of value out of. Um, that person no longer has those episodes available to their audience. Um, I've, I've had a couple of people reach out to me asking if there's any way that they can find those episodes. So it prompted me to think, you know, why don't we just do an updated version of it with what's happening now? MRC is coming out. I'm going to release this episode um, right before MRC, probably on the Friday before. So um, I know a lot of emails will have already gone out. A lot of meetings would have already been put on, on calendars. But for this one, I think, um, you know, just while people are, are flying and traveling, they might have a little bit of time to listen to this and hopefully get them in a better mindset before they put feet on the conference floor. So mm -hmm. um, that being said, I, I do kind of want to talk about about sales with you. You know, you've been you've been in sales. Can you kind of just run me through your background of sales a little bit here before we jump right in? Sure, sure. So as I mentioned on our last episode, um, and I guess for those of you who aren't as familiar with my background and who I am, I was a customer success manager for um, the company called Emailage that was acquired by LexisNexis in 2020 for about five years, maybe four. I don't know. Time is a flat circle. Time is flying right now. <laughs> Um, and what that meant in terms of um, kind of like a sales capacity was I supported um, the relationships with our merchants um, the majority of the time post-sale. So I was responsible for managing the contracts, for negotiating upsells. Um, but what that meant from a like relationship standpoint is I had to be really familiar with how Emailage was supporting our merchants' businesses, helping provide analytics, building out ROIs if necessary. Um, and all of those types of things. So 
Definitely sales felt like a sales role, but I would say that a lot of the hard work in terms of building a relationship with our merchants had already been done. And I just had to pick up where our sales guys left off um, because we already had a lot of the information. There was already kind of a rapport there. So um, I was just responsible for making sure that you guys were still happy and understood the value that emailage was bringing. And then um, in April of last year, I joined the Forder team in a pre-sales capacity. Uh, my official title is Solutions Consultant. And what that means from a sales perspective is I partner with our account executives to um, get to know the merchants that are prospects who are looking to potentially um, use Forder as a solution and get an understanding of their business, what their metrics are, where they might need um, help from Forder, where we can potentially help and kind of scope out which of our offerings, which bundle of our offerings makes the most sense, build out an ROI proposal and help work through kind of the technical aspects of the sales like process, so answering integration questions, those types of things. So more from like a solution, I'm selling the solution where um, our AEs are selling for, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And I think that this is going to be a pretty good time to kind of just put uh, some framework around like overall what works and what doesn't work. I don't, I, I, I try my best to not make this episode be overly negative because I can like quote roast people from time to time. I put up a, um, a post on LinkedIn a few weeks ago, like about it being the new year, new sales, you know, everybody's just coming out. I see, I see millions of posts on LinkedIn of, of people coming out of their company sales meetings, like setting their goals for 2023. Here we go. Now go out and get them guys like handle it. <laughs> so, um, I felt inclined at the time because I was getting a lot of, of emails and I got, I got a particular email. We'll talk about that in a minute that just like, just set me off. But that post was a little more popular than I had expected. I got about 10,000 views on that post, which is it's pretty good for me. Usually I get between the three and the 5,000 on my posts. Um, not a lot, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, there's people out there, there's influencers. I just get tens of thousands of them, like on the first day. I, I'm a little slower. I just got a little humble little podcast over here. But um, I, I know that there's a lot of new salespeople specifically in the industry, like a lot of new like people fresh out of college. They're hungry to make that impact, you know, and they they are brand new to our industry. So as far as they've ever had exposure to our industry, it's their company. And as far as they know, their company is the best of the best of the best. And you know what? They solved it. They solved fraud. They are the silver bullet. They solved fraud. And they just like to, to just lead with that. Now, um, I do want to just start right away and to, to everybody that thinks that like if they ever sent an email that says we've solved fraud, you haven't. You've never solved fraud. You don't have a silver bullet. You just haven't. Like, I don't care how great your company is, how much funding you have, how big your clients are. You haven't solved fraud. There's no one trick pony for this whole thing. So what are your opinions about that? I think that that resonates really strongly with me, um, having not only been part of several different solution teams, so emailage, of course, but then being exposed to all of the solutions under the LexisNexis portfolio, who um, has acquired a lot of different solutions in the last decade. Um, and then moving to the Forder team, I think, you know, in my experience, it's very evident to me that there isn't a silver bullet. There frankly can't be. Um, and I think to your point, there are a lot of sales folks and whether they're new to sales or new to the industry, um, they do only get like the messaging that they're relaying to you as trying to like get you to buy our product or their product is what, you know, marketing is pushing, what enablement is pushing, which isn't yeah. always, you know, exactly what the messaging should be. Um, there was only so many of us with experience like mine or some of my counterparts who have been in the industry for a long time as well, who can kind of get to that next level. 
um, whether in the, they're in a solutions consulting capacity or even the account executive role. Um, yeah. We just haven't been allowed around long enough to be able to dig a little deeper and, and actually tell you what it is that is better, what is doing better than the previous, the other products in the industry or what we're doing differently and so on and so forth. And so I think that that's kind of the disconnect is there, there's kind of no middle ground. There's the folks who are new to the industry or new to sales and don't really have the experience to be able to get beyond that kind of surface level messaging. And then there's folks who have been in the industry for a long time who have made either made the jump from merchant to vendor like myself. I guess a part of my background that I didn't mention is I was on I was a fraud analyst for quite some time before I jumped over to emailage. So um, so those of us who have made that yeah. jump have just been around long enough to know that no matter what we're selling, we're, no matter what we're trying to get you to buy, there is going to be something that is that we are doing better or we're doing differently than our competitors in the space or even just other solutions. Um, but it's, again, not necessarily the silver bullet, and we need to be a lot more conscientious of that. Yeah, I think so. There's a lot in there that I definitely am guilty of. Um, I know when I get these these cold pitches, um, especially when I get uh, them on LinkedIn, I'm, I have just so many blue dots next to my LinkedIn messages yeah. that people I just haven't read. But if I do click on them and, and look at the people, I would say 90% of them, we have one, two, or no mutual contacts. And it's really right. hard to not have mutual contacts with me on LinkedIn if you're in this industry. So that means you're pretty green. But to your point, that does put them at a disadvantage, you know, is they have to find a way to claw into this industry and well i think we'll talk about that in a little bit um but they just they sit in their seat you know and, and i've done sales before and i've done cold sales before where you just it's like how can, how many calls can you make a day how many pitches can you do in a day uh the more the merrier you know you're going to get that no 99 percent of the time but that one that one yes that you're going to get you know is is the big one or those those warm leads and i think that a lot of people come into mrc you know all these leads that are going to come out of that are pretty much going to be warm, except for me when I'm scanning my badge at every single booth to try and win a PS5. Um, that's not going to be a warm lead, but you know, I'll uh, I'll take care of that on the back end after I'm playing Hogwarts Legacy on, on two screens, <laughs> you know. But um, <laughs> one thing that I do, kind of to your point about the folks sitting in the seats, um, something that came to mind is you know every sales team has a group of the cold sales folks or SDR, so sales development rep representatives who are more likely new to sales in general, you know, um, a lot younger in the field, whether it's industry specific or sales specific. And what I think, I don't want to say it's unfortunate, but I can't think of another word, but they're most likely going to be the ones that are making contact with the folks on your side most frequently. They're the ones who are sending those cold pitches, the emails trying to get a hold of you, the ones that don't have a lot of those mutual contacts. and. I think what's hard is, just like you said, they have they have these their own KPIs that they're trying to um, accomplish. Yeah. They're held to whether it's number of calls made in a day, which I don't think it's very effective. To number of meetings that actually happen, you know, I think that's something that I've seen work a little bit better. Is yeah, does it actually turn into a conversation, or does this email, does this contact turn into an actual conversation versus how many emails are you sending, right? Um, and I think that's kind of the crux of this whole conversation is obviously on your end, you guys have a job that you're doing and more often than not, you're doing it very well already. Um, and our job on the sales side is to sell you a product that helps you do your job better, like generally speaking. Right. And so 
I think that's where kind of this like point of tension comes through is you're doing really well and you've received accolades and promotions and raises or recognition for the work that you're already doing, for the work that you've done well. And we're telling you, hey, we can do it. We can help you do it better. Or maybe it comes across as you're doing it wrong or the setup that you have isn't working as well as it could. Um, but I think the primary difference is on the sales side, we don't get paid unless you talk to us kind of thing. Like you get paid regardless, but we don't get paid unless I mean, yeah. you talk to us. So I, I guess like, like we do. Yeah. And I hate to make it about like the money. Um, but that's why we're all here. I ain't volunteering Yeah, that's time. why we're all here. Like at the <laughs> end of the day, like we're all here to get our bags, right? And it's just like, and I know that that's part of the the like risk reward thing that comes with being in sales. Um, but I think that that's something that a lot of folks tend to forget. Like, oh, sales guys are so annoying. Like sales guys are so aggressive. And it's like, well, yeah, like they have a lot more skin in the game when it comes to getting a conversation with someone, right? Yeah. Uh, so I will say that I've always said, um, the, like the best way to, to survive in sales is to get out of sales, uh, especially like in, in like higher end, like SaaS sales. Um, Definitely. <laughs> because like you could be like the number one salesperson at your company, like in a year and then have two bad quarters and then you're out yeah. on your ass, you know, like yep. that's just, that's just how it is. It's a, it's a ruthless game. And, and I think one of the things that's, that's interesting in our industry right now is the industry it's grown a lot. It's probably tripled over the last few years, but mm -hmm. the, so has the product offerings that are are available to us. Um, and now it's it's conglomerating a little bit, you know, it's shrinking down consolidation. Uh, LexisNexis and MasterCard are big parts of that, as we all know. But I will say at the end of the day, you know, like there's only so much food to go around, to, so to speak, in this industry. So, and, and the, the deals are getting longer. It used to be one-year deals are now three-year deals up to five years, depending on like how, how much of a, a break you ask for in price for a longer deal. But um, yeah, it's it's just it's an interesting place, and I understand that that salespeople do have to get that money. And I will, I think we're going to talk about this as we go into the next part here, which is like what doesn't work and what does work. Um, and we'll talk about relationships as, as as sales works specifically for relationships. Like you and I have a relationship in this industry, and I've worked with you at multiple companies. Now I don't work with you at Forder. Now I have worked with Forder in the past. But I still pick up the phone when you call because of the relationship that I have. And we'll talk about that, I think, in a little bit. Um, so let's start with some of the bad. I think we'll go to the negative and then we'll end on a positive note with, with things that do work. So um, I have some of my personal opinions of things that don't work. And I would love to hear your feedback as having been on the other side of this. So I'm going to kind of go out of order on the list that we have. I'm going to start with the second one that we have, and then I'm going to go back to the first one. Um, as everybody knows, I talk about my notes. I run notes on my podcast. I'm a very organized person, so I like things to be a certain way, and it helps with the flow. But the very first thing that that I, especially during when we're talking about cold emails and getting those those leads to warm up, is, and I got one a couple weeks ago, and it prompted, it, it was the, another one of the main prompts of that post, is if you're going to send me a cold email straight up to my email, or it happens to my LinkedIn, make sure you get my name and my company name right. But specifically my name, if you're calling me Justin or Jason, <laughs> while sending an email to Jordan.Harris, you probably aren't going to get my business. Like I could tell you, you're doing the least amount of work humanly possible to get the most amount. You're casting the widest net you possibly can. But I will look at your company name. And I will get that company name right in my mind when I'm walking by your booth and I will make a comment about it. And I probably will put up a LinkedIn post. So what are your thoughts on sending cold emails and getting the damn information right? 
I think that that's, it should be, it shouldn't be something that happens probably as often as it does. Um, what I will say. I know say, there's CRMs that like automatically yeah. do it. Yeah. You know? so, so most sales teams have some kind of tool that helps them to an extent automate their workflow. Um, whether that's sending out email campaigns for different events or the cold pitches, as you mentioned, um, sometimes even just like, hey, uh, Forder's doing this thing. Let me know if you want to talk more about it, whatever. Um, and at least most of the the systems that I have either worked with or seen my teams work with, um, there is the ability to QA the data quality. Um, it's just, it takes maybe an extra couple of hours worth of work before you send the campaign but it could also just come down to the quality of data in the crm and again that's just a little bit of extra like work that the reps should be doing before they're ever sending anything out even if it's just like hey this email says jordan harris i'm gonna look up jordan harris on linkedin and see if his name is actually justin because this thing says right. justin right and i know that that's something that probably um some folks don't want to take maybe not want to but with the pressures that they have for their kpis and getting emails and, and so on yeah. um my i see more experienced people do that like i see people that have been in sales a lot longer yeah. send bad information and what and I it's, think it's 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 like they come from like other companies where they had like big roles and like there's oh, okay. like i think they're trying to apply what they did at their last company totally. to their new company right and like again i think that just comes down to the quality of data in the crm um when I was a CSM, we did, I, I don't do a lot of email, emailing in general anymore, but when I was a CSM, we managed quite a few like existing customer, like email campaigns and things like that. And like our first step was always like QAing the data, like making sure that the emails that we had were right, that the folks that we had listed were even still at that company, if they'd opted in or out of our emails and so on. Um, and I think that I can contribute that to our sales ops team more than anything. Just like, hey, here's the list that we have. Can you make sure it's good? It wasn't something that we were actively doing, but it all depends on the way that the, the org is structured, right? Um, and I think that it's something that can happen to anyone. So my question would be like, if it's somebody who does do that and they, and they recognize it, not that they always do, but if they send that email and they recognize it, would it make it better or worse for you if they followed up and said, hey, sorry, I know you're Jordan. Um, it would Justin, be more personal. That's that that's would start would that help. It would start the relationship building piece. Okay. Um, and then like people that own and had take accountability. Like I got a couple of emails from a person actually at that same company. Hmm. No, no, it was a different company. Never mind. It was a similar name style of company. Uh, you know how everybody's because all the names are taken, so everybody's spelling their stuff different. But I got an email from another person that it it wasn't as I could tell it was a sales pitch, but it wasn't at the same time, you know, and it was, they were, they started with trying to build a relationship and they just wanted to have, they asked me questions that weren't related to my business. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Okay. But they asked me questions about the industry and I pointed them to places and they left and they went and go found those things. And then they came back another week later and asked me questions about the thing. So I could tell that they actually went and did what, what they were, what they were intending to do, which showed me that they actually care. <laughs> and those people got a phone call with me. They got, they got time. They got FaceTime and I listened to their pitch and I listened to their thing. And now I'm, now I'm more curious, but they, they didn't come in just swinging with, with a, with a pitch, you know, like they actually, they, they admitted they were new to the industry. They admitted that like they have seen my name pop up and they wanted to know how to learn more so they could better understand the industry. Like they're actually taking time to, to figure us out. 
And that meant more to me than all these people. Cause I see a million salespeople come and go. I, I can't, I got the last, I was working um, through some, some POCs at another big fraud provider. And I'm on my fourth rep in a year because people just keep leaving. And I'm sorry. Like, I just, I don't have time anymore. And like, that just shows me in my mind, like something's going on over there while people keep leaving. And mm -hmm. I just, I don't have time for that volatility. Like I need a stable platform to, to, to rely sure. on. Sure. Um, I will say a, another one that I get quite a bit in these same emails, if they do get my name right. Um, I think the most common one is um, they want to pick my brain about my current strategy. I've, like, I've you that. That? I'm so sorry. Mm. I don't, I don't do the cold reach outs often. It's more like uh, contacts that I've like folks that I've been connected to for a while and just haven't, I mean, something I should be better at is staying connected with folks in the industry. I think you're one of the exceptions because <laughs> we do have such a great relationship, but a lot of folks that I worked with in the past, um, either when I move on or they move on, it's not because I don't like them or don't care about the relationship. It's just you know, things happen and I have and a, there's real... a lot of us, you yeah, know, I you got to stand out over time with small talk, <laughs> you know, and it feels like, oh, if I'm just reaching out to like check the box that I reached out, that feels really to me personally, like I know that a lot of people are really good at this and it's something that I'm just not good at. Like, just be like, hey, just checking in. Like, how are things going? Like, I don't like doing that. It feels uncomfortable for me. Yeah, so, I will uh, say what I would used to get emails from you when you read emails when I was at Ticketmaster and you I could tell when you're in your business version versus when you're just like normal cambria like, i do i do have two distinct pitches like like phone pitches yeah because like the conversations that we would have like over like text messages and stuff are they're about the industry but they're usually different topics of the industry it's not so salesy and it's like a very different type of person you know but i mean i understand like you're you got to do what you have to do and i and i and i needed you to be doing those roles you know we we were a very um needy client um with our emailage so I needed to to know, and you were like you're one of the, especially as, as a CSM, uh, you were more one of the on it people. Like sometimes I send emails to CSMs that I have even currently, and I won't hear from them for days, weeks. Um, I would usually hear follow ups from you like that same day or like the next day uh, on the status of things. So so you were on it on that, um, but we don't need to stroke your ego anymore. I think you're already fully Thank yourself, you. right? <laughs> um. So yeah. So the, the 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 pick your pick my brain. So that to me feels like you want to know what tools I'm using so that you can try and come in at an angle and say why my tool sucks and why your tool is so much better. And it also to me feels like I'm providing some some level of consulting to people, especially okay. people that are brand new salespeople. They're like, I want to pick your brain about what you guys think about fraud. It's like, I'm trying to provide education to you through your sales pitch. And then you're still yeah. going to turn around and spin it on me and act like, I don't know what I'm talking about when you've been in this industry for 15 minutes and I've been in this industry for over a decade. So, yeah, yeah that totally makes sense. I, I've always, I mean, I know that I've always felt like that kind of like hook for an email feels a little weird, but I hadn't thought about it from the perspective of, it feels like we're asking you to consult for us. Um, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I think in, a lot of cases, though, it is a genuine just like, hey, I just want to chat. And like, I feel like I want to pick your brain is like a, a really like inoffensive feeling phrase. So I'm wondering, like, if it is someone who genuinely just wants to connect and like get to know you more and hear about like you, you know, as as someone who's an expert in this industry, from my perspective, in parentheses, like what kind like how would you prefer to be contacted in that way? If it's someone 
and who maybe only have a few connections, um, but they've heard, like, you gave an example earlier of someone who had reached out and you, like, pointed them in a direction. Is that yeah. the um, ideal or, like... Yeah, so what I feel, if, if people that genuinely want to learn more about the industry, um, if they shoot me an email and they ask the questions in the email, but not like 50, not like 100, one or two, okay. and then I can point them in a direction to give them other reading materials. I don't want to jump on a call necessarily and spend 30 minutes of my time totally. talking about it because I, I do charge for that. I do. Like I do have a consulting rate and it's, it's not super cheap. And it gets cheaper if you buy boxes or blocks of those hours. But I don't want to just be telling people industry best practices and things that they do that they could do to to be better for free, you know, because like they're going to yeah. go turn that around and, and turn that into a sales pitch. But if people are like, hey, I just joined this industry. What's 3D secure? I keep hearing people talk about this. Yeah. I could drop an article in something real quick, you know, because their Google might be broken uh, and send them off on their way with what they need. And now they're more equipped yeah. with what they need. Okay. Or makes- if people, I want to know about 2FA, maybe I can link them an episode and then I get more views. You know, same thing like why we're re-recording this podcast right now. Uh, I had questions from the person specifically about how they should approach the sales for people in this industry. And I had wanted to send them to that old podcast, but since it's been deleted, um, I wasn't able to. I was able to find a, a cached version of it on a, uh, it was hosted on another site. And I use that for now. And that's actually what I use to to listen to this, to to remind myself of what I said, because I don't remember everything that I say all the time. So, uh, yeah. Fair Another enough. one that works for me, like that, and we're going a little early on the works. But if you talk about my sports teams, um, I'm more likely to reply it. Just saying. But be accurate on my sports teams. Can't help you there. But I know yeah. plenty of people who can. Sure. I know you're wearing you're wearing football stuff all the time and you're celebrating. Oh, Yeah. You know me. You're a big Cardinals fan over there, aren't you? Go to sports ball. Yeah, go to sports ball all day. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about one of the big, the big, 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 big ones that um, if you ever do to me, you will, I will never. There's, there's two huge ones that if you ever do to me, I'll never do business with your company at any company that I'm ever at, um, no matter what. And one of those is just putting time on my calendar without asking me. If you just send me a damn meeting invite and we've never talked about it, we've never set a time or anything you just cold drop me a, a straight up calendar invite we're done which is actually happen i've had it happen three times in the last uh i had it happen tw- twice during covid and once before okay um okay. so it's not it's okay it's not it's not every day but, but like, like I, I, three times is more than once yeah three times is more than than uh than it's three times too many but yeah. i i just want to i mean I, have you ever done that like i i just don't know the rationale behind just thinking i guess maybe if you send a hundred meeting invites, one person will accept and just show up. But yeah, the only time I've ever done that is when I've already like had an exchange with the person and I've sent they've sent me some times and I say, Hey, does this one work? And if I don't get a response back, then I'll just send just, the invite. That's yeah, but like at least out. you have like there's an expectation yeah. that an invite could come from that. That's exactly. a different story. Yeah, yeah. I've been using Calendly lately, and that's pretty cool. Um for me to send out to people and say, Hey, these are my times available. But just don't ever cold put a, a time on a calendar. Anybody ever. No notes. Yeah, I just, I mean, those usually it's attached to some emails. Say, I'd like to show you what we have, but hmm, I'd like to, I'd like to show you how you could lower your chargeback rate. You don't know my chargeback rate. It could already be low. Like what? Are, like don't be assuming. Remember what assume makes everybody. But uh, another thing that I think is super important for people to to understand is um, it, these deals don't happen in two days. 
you like pushing for speed turns me off a lot. Like I have an existing fraud vendor. I have a deal with it. I am not going to make a decision to change my entire life and my entire strategy. I'm not going to make it in 30 days. I'm not going to make it in 60 days. So you have to understand that these deals are going to have a long lead time. And then if I start signing a deal, the implementation time, depending on the size of the business, could be 12 to 18 months. So every, and I know we got these no code, low codes, we're dropping it to CDN. There's still some problems with those about how redirects happen and things like that. But I mean, they're a good, they're a good start to getting this, this easier integration done. But people need to understand that procurement processes, contracts, negotiations take time. And my deals that I'm still using also have an expiration date too. So what are your thoughts around that? I hard agree. I think that in like a perfect world, well, so I think that a lot of these like, like I can improve your chargebacks by this much. We can get this implemented in X days. Like we've signed deals in 90 days or less, whatever. I think that those are either like best case scenarios or like in a perfect world, like at Forder, our implementation can take as little as three weeks. It can. Doesn't yeah, if it's all hands on deck. Yeah, all hands on deck on your side, all hands on deck from my side. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't always, it usually doesn't, but it is, you know, compared to other vendors and uh, especially if coming from Lexus, it is a relatively straightforward, whatever that means, implementation. I usually see it take a couple of months. Um, And I think that, you know, product teams just assume that because they like, I think that they forget that they're like intimately familiar with the code and what it looks like and what it should look like. Um, and I think that, that sometimes there is um, like an enablement gap between what is actually required for different, different implementations or even like even not outside of the implementation, like the contracting process. There's like a gap, an enablement gap between like what is actually required in order to complete that task, whether it's procurement and legal and MSA review or it's contracting for pricing negotiations or it is the implementation and so on. Um, uh, little uh humble uh, plug i guess here i'm trying to think of the right word um my pre-sales team um our enablement team and our leadership have done a lot of work uh working with our deliveries team to try and kind of bridge that gap um with things like a mutual delivery plan where even before we get to the contracting phase we're meeting with our prospect teams and understanding their infrastructure understanding um, you know, what payment process are they using? What are their tools they have in place? What their CRM is, how they have their e-com platform set up, um, kind of exactly where the solutions are going to be, what data is going to be available, how they're going to be using it, trying to iron out all of those details. And then we're working on um, an SOW at the same time, which is, you know, even deeper. I, than I that feel like any company that's, that's engaging in that level of, yeah, like, like if you're, if you're planning on moving forward, like, a company that I'm doing business with better have those people on that exactly, side. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> they better be doing a plan like that. I think it's 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 uh, one of the things that that people fail to understand, especially newer salespeople in this industry, is like these deals aren't like ten thousand dollars. Right. These deals are like a million dollars a year Plus. or more over three four years. You know, like in in the salespeople, I understand like when they're getting these like hundred thousand, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar paychecks off these deals. But at the same time, I'm not going to just spend a million dollars a year for the next three years with a company that I just met 15 minutes ago. Right. Like I, when I, when I was at Fandango, when we switched our tool from one tool to another, it took three years for that company to get that deal. And obviously, like a lot of salespeople aren't that patient. A lot of salespeople don't even stick around at a company that long. But 
that's just how long it takes sometimes mm-hmm. to make a change at these companies because sometimes yep. we're happy with what we we want and then we're going to be unhappy all of a sudden because something breaks or something changes or they, or they change how the, the product works fundamentally. And if you have the patience to deal with a sales cycle that long, yeah, you could get that that payoff at the end of the, of the day. You know, some of these right. deals, like I've worked deals that are like $10 million. You know, these people are like the salespeople could make up to a million bucks if I sign the deal. And sometimes they still push. And right. I'm like, just like, like you, you, you're going to get that nut eventually, but just calm down a little bit because you don't want me to get mad about it and then just be like, I'll just figure out a way to make my current system work just because sure. I don't want to have to deal with the stress of having to deal with the salesperson. Like, I don't like salespeople that stress me out. Is that is that fair enough to say? Like, <laughs> me either. I mean, I, I just I don't like being like feel like I stepped onto a car lot. And it's the same reason when I buy cars, I buy through a broker agency. I have them go to the lot and do the work for me, and I pay them six hundred dollar flat fee. And then you know what? A car, the exact car that I want, shows up in my driveway. They bring it to me, and I fill out five pieces of paper. And that's how I buy cars. Like I don't go deal sixteen hours sitting on the car lot to have the. Like, oh, you get this scotch yeah. guard off Ever of here. Again. I don't want any of that. But no, like, I just, I don't want to be stressed out by the process. I want to feel comfortable. I want to feel informed and I want to feel yeah. no pressure. And the people that give me the least amount of pressure are usually the ones that get the deal. Like I just made a massive change to our tool internally. And my sales team that I worked with, he was comfortable. He was funny. He just put the time in. He didn't be like, we need to close. If anything, it was me pushing his ass faster. <laughs> like what I wanted things done, but the guy was such a pleasure to work with um, that I have now been expanding the use of our tools. And I just ping him. I'm like, hey, bros, like, just send me a contract that does this, you know, and we'll iron out the details back and forth over email. And then I just, it's just been such a pleasure. It's just such a refreshing way than dealing with all of the bullshit that usually comes with having. To say no, and then them getting mad and offended at me, and like, like what I, I said on another thing was uh, a no right now doesn't mean no forever, right? Uh, and I think salespeople need to understand that, and like just stay in my Rolodex, like check in with me, like you you are always really good about checking in with me on things. Hey, do you need anything? Especially when like well, I'm already assigned with the product, and like you still, even though you're at Forder, uh, you still reach out to me and it, it, you you ask how things are going, you know, and then. I'm sure if I said everything sucks, you'd be like, you want to give it a shot? And I might be more open to that just because of a relationship, you know? So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts around all that? Um, I hate to just keep responding with questions, but since I've never been like in a buyer position on that yeah. side of the table, I was, you know, a desk, a desk analyst. I like to crunch my numbers and do the things. So I never really worked with vendors on the merchant side. Um, so how do I, I'm trying to think of like the most concise question because you just said a lot of different things and hit on a lot of different points. So I think one of the reasons, I mean, aside from the push to their paycheck, I think one of the reasons that sales teams sometimes push for a contract, especially in our industry, is how quick, is because of how quickly data changes, right? Like Consumer data is constantly, I guess, behavioral data. So consumer data is constantly changing. The way that fraudsters are attacking different merchants and different exploiting different things is always changing. So whatever analysis a team has done for you in the past in terms of the impact, whether it's, you know, a retro study, a point in time analysis, a POC, or 
doing like a data exercise, looking at like, okay, what are, where are your rates today? What are the different things that you'd like help yeah. uh, from us from? Where do we think we can make an impact? And the further we get away from that initial analysis, that I think the more likely it is that that might not be true anymore. And then we end up having to redo the analysis anyway. Um, yeah. I, I think like either way, board. I think like either way, if, if there's a no at one time because the analysis wasn't what we wanted it to be at the same on the inverse of that, the same time is like, yeah, you, you guys weren't right. The right fit for the analysis at that time. But now a year and a half later, there is a new type of attack that's happening and you guys might be a better fit for that. So I'd like sure. you to reanalyze the data. And like, sometimes people try and charge for that. I had a, when I first started this company, one of the, the major fraud preventers was trying to charge for a POC. And I know some people charge for POCs, but if I'm about to give you a million dollars a year for like the next decade, you are not charging me $20,000 to see if sure. I want to write you checks. That's just never going to happen. So, so anybody that ever tries to come at me with a chart for charge POC, I would just skip me in your Rolodex and keep on moving, you know? So yeah, yeah. that totally makes sense. In the event where it's like not a no, and we've done, an, like a sales team has done an analysis for you and the sales process is taking a long time and then they start to get pushy. I, I, if maybe I'm, I'm, I'm going really off track there, <laughs> um, but like that's an instance where I can see the salesperson being pushy for that. I reason. can tell you things happen. So let yeah, me tell you some things happen. that happen during sales cycles in my life. Um, at my last company, I was in a sales cycle with a vendor. COVID happened. So now... Um, my business, Ticketmaster, was massively affected by COVID. So I'm probably not going to spend additional money on additional software when we're in a complete cost-saving mode to try and trim as much as we can the whole time. At this company, also was looking and evaluating software to see if I was in the right mood. Our business is heavily, we're heavily in Russia normally. 25% yeah. of our business is, is in Russia. and all of a sudden we can't do business with Russia. So I'm not super inclined to all of a sudden, like I had already done some data analysis, but I'm not inclined to all of a sudden make a huge change because now I'm trying to, again, cut costs, evaluate the software that we have right now. How can we better use it for, for what we need right now? So we don't spend money. Like I still have to maintain profitability in my businesses, despite the circumstances that are happening in the world around me. So sometimes that means halting a process that I'm in the middle of. And it's not, I don't mean it to be a dick, but that's just the reality of the situation that happens in business sometimes. And yep. I think that salespeople need to be a little more understanding of that. Now, I granted, I still understand that that's how you put food on the table is signing deals and getting commissions. But maybe, maybe a business that's selling something needs to change the underlying payment structure so that their people don't go hungry okay. if I'm not buying something today. Yeah, you know. totally. And that's something that's out of all of our hands. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes like to the same tipping culture where people get all pissed about like 20, 25, 30% tips now are the options on the screen. And like people get pissed, like, why didn't you tip this person? You know, I'm don't I'm not saying I don't do I'm a very generous tip for everybody. But at the same time, like, why isn't that business paying? Like, why yeah. are they relying on their customers to pay the wages of their employees? Yeah. You know? So no, that's totally fair. It, it it really boils down to do your homework around the people that you're trying to sell to, yeah. understand their business. You know, have have a little that bit of an understanding of the of the business. I think that that's super important. That yeah. you need to understand how ticketing works, how marketplaces work. If you're going to be like a marketplace, that, yeah, that makes a huge difference. Whether digital it's... delivery, those things, like because yeah. some tools are stronger in certain areas than others. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
this is a thing that's kind of a newer thing that I'm, I, I think you guys might do it too, but um, a percentage base. So with some of the yeah. newer tools, it's not a flat fee. It's a percent of like the approved orders is, is yeah, the cut. It's like now, a percent of the value of that transaction. Yeah. So now, points, yeah. I would say that that works for probably the large majority of people that are selling their own shit. Um, but for people like marketplaces that aren't and they yeah. have to give a cut, that doesn't always work for those people. So sometimes, um, granted, you can even tie it like a fixed fee, you know, a percentage of a sale, like you can forecast your fees. Same thing if you have 30,000 sales in a day, five cents, you know, like you can project that. But it's usually a lot easier explain a flat fee. Like a like to, a platform fee? Like, yeah. So let's say like, let's yeah. say I'm, I'm, let's say I'm, uh, I'm selling t-shirts that you've designed on on your thing so i'm a marketplace for you so people come on my site you set up your little store you you made a t-shirt i sell it for you and then i i give you that and then i and i take a cut of the percentage less fees so taking a a, a different a fee that slides around different prices based on like how much the, the value of the the, the merchandise yeah, i sold yeah. can be shitty if you're like i took twenty dollars on this one but i took five dollars on this one it's both a t-shirt you know but it's just the price when i can say hey I took five cents, like five cents is how much it is, you know, people, yeah. so the, 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 the higher the price, of the item, the more profit that they make, blah, 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 blah. You know, I just say like for me, it, and I've come from a marketplace in the past that it was a lot easier for me to the clients on the other end to pass along a fixed fee fee than it was a percentage based fee to them. Yeah. Just that's keep that in mind when you're doing pricing structures, like there isn't a one size fits all pricing yeah, structure. So like a fixed rate versus a, like a, a percentage, percentage rate. Variable. Yeah. And how, yeah. like, what are your thoughts on like platform fee structures? So like maybe there's like a couple of different types of products that what you're going to be mm -hmm. buying from a team and they say, Hey, like, because you process this much volume, this is like your platform fee every month. And then if you just like, it's, so it's like the flat fee, the minute, basically the minimum that runs underneath. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you exceed yeah. that for whatever reason, there's like a double, like not a double, yeah. like, like a, maybe you pay a little bit more or maybe there's like something that you can eat into or if you have rollover from the last year, those types of things. So and I was just looking at a deal that another company is is working on with a with a covered model vendor, kind of like you guys are. And they have, uh, oh, there's a there's a platform fee in there. But We are not exclusively a covered. Well, I think that most people aren't anymore, but that's like the, the that's, that's actually, the lead in hey, that happens. Yeah, actually, not hate. We're trying to move away from selling coverage because it just doesn't make sense. We... Hindsight is twenty twenty, as we know. It's something that works for some vendors, and it's something that, um, especially like I am super happy about that. Really want, um, but it just doesn't make sense from a cost perspective either for you as a merchant or for us. So I think that, that in there. Um, so my my opinion on covered models is it's up and down. So like I use a product that has a covered model now, but I have always said that I think that having a covered model is not ideal because it disincentivizes the fraud tool for accuracy mm -hmm. um it if they could just pay for it using vc money or profit money to be wrong and get an additional approval it it doesn't necessarily always equal the right and i've used a covered model company in the past that because they were so they just didn't care as much they were incentivized to approve as many orders as possible and just play, try to play the numbers game as if we had never thought of that as fraud people before uh, they actually put me in the visa program almost immediately. Wow. And uh, that sucked because I think people yeah. sometimes do forget. And I don't know if it's always said in the sales pitches on these that these cover model things. I do a lot of education is, on that. <laughs> yeah. It's like 
yeah, they're paying for your chargebacks, but you still have compliance on from your, your yeah. processor and the issuer side that you need to worry about. So yeah, you might not financially be on the hook for it, but you are still compliantly on the hook for it. Is compliantly <laughs> even a word? We're going for it. Quietly? I don't know. <laughs> uh, another thing that, that comes up too is um, I remember the bad reps. I think I kind of mentioned this before that I remember the bad reps. And I remember the companies. But if I see those bad reps like jumping around to other companies, I immediately have a negative thought of of that company, yeah. that new company. And sometimes I'm like, ah, because I like the company that that person went to. And I'm just like, dang, did they not vet them? Or maybe I just had a really bad experience with them. I'm sounding like a huge dick on this because like this is just all the negatives and we're almost to the positives, I promise people. But um, it's just. The negatives are always hard. Like, these are things that just yeah, like, grind yeah. my ears. It's like there's know? there's that like anecdote that folks love to throw around in like the CX industry where it's like, you know, when you look at the reviews on like, you know, Twitter or whatever, it's not the people who are super happy that like write yeah. tweets to companies. It's the people who got really pissed off by like whatever waiter or their food was bad or whatever. You know what I mean? that same kind of idea, I think, that's transferring over here. Like it, experience with someone is something that's kind of hard to get over. Yeah, and I think that like that, that customer experience episode that I did, um, we kind of touch on that, like how how only like one in twenty five people actually reach out about their experience. So like, there's yeah. could be negative, could be positive in all of those, but like of the twenty five people that had a bad or positive experience, only one of them is going to let you know that they had it. So it, it could be bad, but I think like like you you kind of mentioned like to 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 turn it back around, you know, on this like following the bad people around, like you also mentioned earlier, what about the redemption? You know, what about sending an email, apologizing or not even apologizing, but just like, like being like, hey, might, might have got know. that right. Yeah, acknowledging. That's a good way to put it. Um, I think that that in these sorts of, of instances, like even if like you, you fucked up at the beginning, um, sending a simple email like that might take you off the shit list, if that makes sense. So I guess if I if if you if I have I have to ask. And if you had to answer as concisely as possible, so like maybe two, three reasons, what puts someone on the shit list? Whether it's for you or like generally, like in your opinion, generally within the industry, what is something that people like sales reps will do that like kind of gives them a bad rap? Um, so the, the, the number one thing that'll put you on the shit list forever is going around me after I tell you no. If you go to another person in my industry or, or not in my industry, but in my company and you like go to like my boss or my boss's boss or to our CTO or something like that, or go to my parent company and say, hey, I talked to Jordan. We tried to sell our product. He said, no, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. It seems like mm -hmm. we're, we got a lot of value. I, I'm going to I'm going to roast you forever. I'm going to roast okay. your company forever. Uh, I'm never going to do business with you. I'm going to be extremely unhappy. And that is an unredeemable thing okay. to me. That is completely yeah. unredeemable. Yeah. I had it happen at, at, at um, when I was at Ticketmaster with, with a company that was not strong. They're still not strong. They, they're not even real a fraud player. They're better in the abuse space than they are in the fraud space. And I am completely satisfied with the solutions that I had for my piece of the business. And I said, no, I do not need this product. And they went to Live Nation, our parent company, mm -hmm. and tried to say to our, um, our president of treasury that I, I don't even know how they got to him, but like I had a really good relationship with him that I had said no and that I was wrong and I probably didn't know what I was talking about and that somebody else should take a look at it. And immediately they, they obviously send me an email to like say, what do yeah. we know about this? What's going on with this? You know? And then I have to explain what's, what's happening. And then, then I'm, I'm angry typing. Like if, if I'm angry typing a response to that, why we don't need it, why yeah. it's unnecessary. 
only to get the response back that this says okay, and then that person says no, thank you. I've had uh, multiple people go around me, but this okay. one company is just a, a big offender of it. And I think they do okay. it. it. It's happened at multiple multiple companies. Um, yeah. So, so that's so, number one. Okay. Yeah. Let's... Another one is. I guess putting time on my calendar is, is a is a pretty bad yeah. one and, and, and getting my like a, a really bad cold email. I think I, let's let's use that as number two. A really bad cold email. My name wrong, like putting time on my calendar and over promising stats that you really don't know about. Like that that okay. just really, really bothers me. So that'll put you on the shit list. And the third one is um having a bad in person persona. Uh so some of these companies, when they come in, especially the new hotness companies that raise like a hundred million dollars so that we've never heard of that come out of left field, um, they come in really arrogant in this space for someone that's never been in this space. And they try to talk like they're hot shots. They act like they're hot shots. They come walking into the conference and they're matching shirts and they just, they, they try and peacock all around in there. Sure. And it just, bothers me it bothers me that like it's you come from nowhere and you act like you know everything mm -hmm. and that's not super good in this industry in my opinion so what are your thoughts on that uh -huh. i get people have to make a splash because yeah it gets people yeah talking. so i think part of it is you know trying to do the make a splash thing part of it is like it, it's kind of back, coming back to what um i was talking about at the very beginning which is that um a lot of folks don't get past like the initial layer of messaging that companies will develop. You know, like we can solve this problem that's been around yeah. forever. You know, they don't, they just don't get very far past that. And I think companies that you've just described, the folks that you're seeing are the ones that aren't getting past that first layer of messaging. Like there are probably folks on the product side or the developments like R&D who are really experienced, who do know what they're doing. And that's probably why the product got funding. And it's like, it's not your fault for feeling offended and like annoyed by these guys that come in and like act like they're hot shit. Like, I your, do, like... your impression of those, like the people you just described, I think is accurate. I just think that like on the back end, like it's, it's tough. No, it's, it's kind of like, where's the balance, you know? Yeah. Bring the product people, like bring yeah. the product people to, to the conferences. Don't just bring, don't bring the salespeople and the CEO. Like I get the CEO wants to come kick it. But like maybe show like the, the R&D. So one of the things that I like to do, especially when I see new companies, is uh, I click on, I go to their their um, LinkedIn page. And if you click into their business and you click on the, the, the jobs and you can see what types, like how many people are in types of roles. So you can see sales, you can see R&D, you can see, you know, admin, all that. And if they got like 50,000 salespeople and 15 people in R&D, we're probably not, it's not, they're not yeah. going to be long for this. Yeah, role. yeah, yeah. So you got to think if, but if I see more people in the technology R&D side than I see in the sales side, there we go. Um, yeah, because especially when you're a new company, you can, you can cover the whole country with two or three salespeople. Like mm -hmm. you really can. So that's just how it is. So spend that VC money, that hundred million dollar check you just got, spend it on making a damn product instead of buying t-shirts. Yeah. So. So as it specifically, when it comes to what you see is going around you, is there a more graceful way to potentially just reach out to other contacts in your organization that isn't, you know, hey, I mm. talked to Jordan already. He said no, because like uh, speaking selfishly from like Porter's perspective, we have an offering that touches multiple parts of the business, yeah. right? So, so that's, that's it's a, like, okay, maybe point. you don't have a need for fraud so, right now, but we have 
I don't mm-hmm. know, abuse, like identity stuff. And maybe you don't own sure. identity. So if I don't own something, I will tell you. Okay. If, if you talk about your other offerings and I talk about them and, and, I, and I have knowledge of those and I say, no, don't do it. Like, okay. um, if I'm very good about telling, saying I don't own login or I don't own account create, your product is that this is the people you need to talk to. I'm very good about that. If I, if I say no to a product outright, I own that decision to say no at my company, everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere that that product could fit, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, that I might know a tool that we already have in those places and we might be very happy with that tool. Um, I'm, I, I, and we've talked about another podcast, I interface with my security teams to, for their stuff, for their needs. So I know yeah. what tools they're using and I know their level of happiness with those tools. I also do pay attention to the security industry too. So I do know tools that are in that space. So okay. I would not want to tell my team, my security team to take a known, amazing cybersecurity tool and drop a different tool that started out as a fraud tool in that place because totally. the technology yeah. probably just isn't going to quite be there yet. Okay. Now that it's not sense. a no forever, but yeah. Um, I would, if, if I don't redirect you to those people directly, don't start calling them. Okay. If that I think makes that, sense. Yeah. I think that's a totally valid perspective, not perspective, but like a stance. Like, yeah. I agree. I agree. I think it makes more sense to be respectful of the relationship that we may or may not have built yet. Um, and it sounds to me like it's more on like, you know, my, my, my reps and myself to maybe just ask like better follow-up questions when it is a no. Yeah. Like, Hey, you know? what are, what like, are you maybe guys we working haven't on? talked about everything like, yet. Exactly. You want to be picking, I know you, you want to pick the brain as you said, you know, mm-hmm. but if you can get the people on the phone and you could just say, what are your current focuses? Like, what are you, what are you worried about yep. right now? And they, they might, they may or may not give you a truthful answer, but if you have a list of things that are ATOs a concern for you, is like rewards scraping a concern for you? Yeah, INR is what a outside good one right of now? fraud because yeah. you know like what you guys do with fraud, okay? You know, but you also know what you guys do with other things. But that might not be a concern. Like some people don't even have accounts on their websites, so you don't need account security because they don't even have a fucking account. Mm-hmm. So like you have to think about things like that, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Cool. I think that's a good segue into. What does work really well? What does work? Okay, so I like steak dinners. Um, I know. At, at, at fancy restaurants. Uh, really fancy restaurants like Michelin stars and Who above. Who doesn't? Right? No. But um, no, I, I think like just like, like uh, as, as much as I joke about like the steak dinners on, on all these things, um, I think the time that like having a lunch or having a dinner that you get to build a rapport with a client is, is pretty, it's like it, you stop talking about work and you start talking about life. And I think when you guys find common ground in life, um, it, it goes a long way. Like I, like I knew about your life. I knew about your husband. I knew what, what he does. Like I know where you guys live. I know what you guys are into. And no, that didn't come from doing Zoom calls about sales. That came from our lunches and our dinners that we yeah, had going years. to a baseball game when yeah. there was an amazing football game on. Like those sorts of things. Wasn't my like, call. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Hey, but the, 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 the box at Giant Stadium, what is it? It's what's it? I don't know. Oracle Park. I don't know. AT&T Park now or something. I don't know. It's one of those two. But that that was a very nice box. But it was a really, really, really good football game on that night. But we 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 made the best of both worlds. But like I think like those 
those sorts of, of the time that you have on those things goes a long ways. And if I'm trying to sign a million dollar deal for over the couple of years, a couple hundred dollar steak dinner isn't going to break the bank on your guys's profitability on that. Just so any, any sales managers or any CEOs are listening, like when they, when you're doing those expense reports, there usually is a larger payoff. So maybe don't worry about that second drink that everybody yeah, got, you know? Totally. So I'm, I'm curious, like, so if you get emails from folks that maybe you've interacted with a couple of times and it's just like, there's no business relationship yet, but they're like, Hey, I'm in your area. Want to grab a drink yes. or grab a coffee? Is that yes. something that you you think feels fraught, or is that something that you nope. think works really That's, well? That's I will. If someone's in my area and they're like, "Hey, I know we've just been chatting about this. Just wondering, like, if you want to go grab lunch or grab a drink real quick, you know, like I'm I'm over here seeing another client. That it works so much better. Like I, cool. uh, I, mean, I, agree, I have but... I have another <laughs> vendor, um, and actually one of your people, um, was at this meeting, uh. But at Christmas time, like there's a vendor that I kind of work with, but not really. And they're like, hey, we are having a, a dinner for in Newport for the boat parade. Would you oh, like to yeah. attend? You know, and I was like, hell yeah, because I wanted I always wanted to go to the boat parade. And I had a really nice dinner. They showed their new product roadmap and learned a lot about their product. And now we have conversations, you know, just like you and I, like I, I happened to be in Phoenix one time and you're like, well, hey, let's go get a drink. And I made time to go get a drink with you at that awesome place. What was it called? Um, I see people there still. Yeah, Bitter and Twisted. That place is bomb. Everybody go there. Yeah, that place is amazing. I send people there all the time. Cool, me too. Um, so I think like, and also after the steak dinners, like, there's, there's, don't expect a line on like a sign on the dotted line the very next day. Like, you're still going to be time. That's something that everyone could be a little bit better about. It's like, oh, we had such a great time. Now let's talk business, and it's like. Mm -hmm. There's there's like a um, let the steak digest, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> there's like a, a rising period, you know, like if you're thinking about making bread, like, all right, we had a great time putting the dough together, whatever. Now we've got to sit. There you Need go. Look at, look at you throwing yeah. in the little metaphors here. It wasn't my best, but that's OK. Hey, you know, it'll work. But hey, but in that sense, making bread, the, the, you, could, you could double entendre here, making bread on the sale and making bread. OK, it really. was good. See, uh, it's better than you thought it was. <laughs> so another thing is, um, like, there's a, there's a balance between like what you give and, and what you're trying to take from the merchant too. So again, back to the steak dinner, you know, like I want the dinner, I want to come have drinks with you and everything. That doesn't all of a sudden open up to a every single day call. You know, we can yeah. might be able to we might be able to talk about putting the third, another thirty minutes on the calendar next week to maybe talk about it a little more, but like not every day. Like not yeah. every day, and and then after food, yeah, to throw another if not cooking a fit, metaphor, yeah, watch if, water. If, uh, go for it. Watched water never boils. Just to throw another cooking metaphor what is in it? there. Watched water never boils. Have you ever been like yeah. cooking pasta or something, and you're like no. staring at the pot, waiting for it to boil? I was very much um, boiling this tea water for this throat coat tea that I used before I record these. And uh, it didn't boil, and I got, I got, I lost patience and See? pulled it out See? of the, the microwave. Uh, yes, I microwaved water, Steve. If you're listening that's to okay. this, I apologize. <clears throat> I have an electric kettle. See, that's that's, that's what I, I, Steve. You know the guy that did the um, yeah, he did the the one, but he's English, and he probably had a heart attack right there. And I said I microwaved my water because I don't have an electric kettle because I'm a coffee drinker 99 percent of the time, except for when I record these, I drink throat coat tea to make sure that I don't uh, screw it up. 
Yeah. So a relationship without actually selling works every time, every single time. So it's an art form. So actually having conversations like, like um, Chase Foster is, I always use him as an example of an excellent salesperson because he's been to a bunch of different companies and he, I always take his call too, but he's just like, let's go have lunch. Let's go have dinner. Like when he's in town, I always catch a game with him. I always catch dinner with him. When I'm at a conference, he always books a dinner with me and I might not be a client right now, but his work always pays off for me becoming a client. So like, it's just a long haul, but him, like I got invited to his 40th birthday party. You know, I'm not going to be able to make it. Unfortunately, I wanted to, but that was super cool. Like that's the type of relationship that we have. And when mm -hmm. I, when I start to, to form friendships also over these, these sales, like we start to have a, a little bit better report. So try to become friends with these people. Don't just look at them like as a giant walking around dollar sign. Mm -hmm. Look at them as like real people. Like you're in this industry now. It's a small industry. You're going to see me. You never know where I'm going to wind up. Like I've had salespeople try to flat out ignore me before when I've asked for things. And then the next thing they know, I'm at Ticketmaster. And they're like, oh, how about they start barking up that tree? And I'm like, how about when you were a dick to me? Uh, no. How about no? Yeah. So it's long haul relationships in this industry because yeah. we're not going anywhere. We're all going to be here for a while. You're, you want to be here for a while. So I would highly recommend forming a long relationship. And, and uh, I agree. And if only because I, I've said this for years and I tried to get email, just make t-shirts out of it. But I kind of like silly little phrase I started saying was wrong people are the best people. Um, I mean, of course, like stroking my own ego a little bit. I was a fraud person before I became a fraud vendor. Um, I just everyone that I've connected with in this industry is so much fun. Um, so intelligent, so just like interesting to get to know and talk to, not only from like the relationship perspective, but also when it comes to developing a business relationship, because I think the way that folks in the fraud industry and who touch fraud at all have such a, like a cool way of problem solving. Um, and a, like, it's, it's just like one of the most like fun and exciting collaboration experiences I've ever had is getting to know new folks in the industry and kind of learning, coming to understand how they think about problems that I might think about in a different way. Um, so I just think that, I mean, like, hard to agree, I guess. There we go. That's yeah. a nice way to put it. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things like like older companies that like have been around for a long time, like they they typically have like salespeople that have been there for a really, yeah. really, really long time. So yeah. I, I, I like to see my salespeople stick at companies for a long time. Now, I know, as we said earlier, everybody's got to get that bread. Um, and some opportunities are a little, um, some opportunities at companies are a little more lucrative than, than others. Um, mm -hmm. so sometimes you might join a company and you're trying to yeah. sell a product and sometimes you don't realize it's the luck it's, of the draw. Yeah. But sometimes you, you land those companies that have like longevity and you could be there for a while. So I, I do tend to make relationships like uh, the relationship building tends to last better and work better for, for, for more established companies for me. Yeah. That's how it is. But like, granted, you came from a new company, uh, when I met you. And now you're on your second one. And, and Forder's pretty established now. They've been around for almost a decade, as far as I know, right? Like, uh, mm -hmm. they, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the companies that when you get your foot first in the door, it's like kind of where you, where you start is not always where you, you're going to land, exactly. but as long as those companies last. But, um, yeah. I, and I, I, I said it earlier too, is like for salespeople, like as we're going through this relationship, if you, if you take more time to under, to, get, to build a relationship with me, you will understand my business more. So when you understand my business more, you can sell to my business more. And that'll, that'll take care of you longer. So like 
like Chase Foster's another good example is like he knows me and he knows my business. So any company that he joins, he knows where the fit is for his product in my company right. and if there is a fit even to begin with. Mm -hmm. So that's that's super if you really understand the people that you're working with, you'll understand their business. So Exactly. That's a much more succinct way of saying what I was saying. So again, hey. hard agree. There we go. Hard agree. I like that. Um, the logo slide is always something that always cracks me up. I think that don't that get me people, started. People think that works more than than it does. Um, it does. No, I have major qualms. But anyone, I always like seeing companies this that already knows. Like I like seeing companies that like I have worked for, and or companies that I'm like, really good friends with the people that work there, and I know specifically if or where they use the tool. Like I, there was one company that has a big slide and it has uh, a logo on it of a company, and I know damn well that they only use it in like the smallest corner chunk of the business that they yeah. didn't want to deal with and mm -hmm. the overall business is nowhere near that so i always yeah. think it's funny logo slide um sometimes I'll, I'll call them out in the middle of things but um just yeah keep that in mind folks that's not as effective as you always think it is yeah but, you know. um, and i think having realistic expectations of of what you're going to deliver is super helpful uh i i recently did a, a big rfp on our payment processor and we had one of the companies came in and they were, they were a really good company, really well-known company. And they were very honest about where their strengths and their weaknesses were. And they're like, we can help you out in these specific places, yeah. uh, but we won't be able to help you here. And I, it was really refreshing because everybody else that had come into those meetings had been like, we could take all of your business and we could do it better than everybody. And like, I know damn well, like some of those people don't work well in APAC. Some of them don't work well in EMEA. Yeah. Like, it's just how it, how it is. And like this company came in and was very, very honest about where they're like, where they're, we're strong here. We're really strong here. We ain't got no business here. So we find somebody yeah. else there. And I think that being more honest about that, and it comes back to like, there is no silver bullet. Be like, hey, like we yeah. can really help you with the decisioning, but the identity piece we really need, or we can really help you with the decisioning and the identity, but the behavioral piece, you might need to find somebody else. But good news, mm -hmm. we, we work with these vendors and they plug in super well is, is a lot, a lot better. And then also like people like um, just kind of stay away from the buzzwords. Like if you if you're going to start using buzzwords like machine learning and AI, especially in the world of Chat GPT, like make sure you know what your your product actually does with those things. Because if I ask now, if you can demonstrate, okay. like if you can real life demonstrate what it's doing, like that's a whole different thing. Like I've had some really cool demos where they were showing real time machine learning mm -hmm. on my exact data. Now that's that's a lot more effective, you know, than than your logo slide. Just saying. Totally fair. Yeah, my first reaction to you saying don't use buzzwords is I I think I wrote this in the notes too, but like it's kind of there. I see them less as buzzwords now and more like things that you have to say in order to be taken seriously. But to your point, like if you're going to say them, at least be able to back up what it is that you're describing, because sometimes people say AI and they really mean machine learning, machine learning, machine learning. I just had a yeah. short circuit. It's okay. Um, Say it again. Say it again right now. They, machine they really mean... learning. Hang on. Hang on. And there are two different things, right? Or like they what are. they mean by modeling, what they mean by having multiple models. Um, I think that's where the distinction comes in. Like it's, it is just a buzzword until you can ante up and show that you actually know what you're talking about and you yeah. have proof that you're using those things. I think that people like that also have like a, a pretty good understanding of the competitors in the marketplace to have a lot of strength over the others. Like, especially like the new salespeople that are coming in, like I said at the beginning of this, like they only know their product. They don't know what the other people do. So like doing, like taking this time to sit your ass down and do some market research. And if you can get people on the phone, maybe talk about their experiences with some of those other companies, um, 
you could probably be more effective in your approach to the overall strategy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it's like, and then I still have, I have the note on here. I just want to say, cause I think I said it on the, the last podcast, but uh, about the cover model, you know, we talked about that and like, used to call it, used to call it the cover your ass model, right? I yeah. think that's what, uh, I think that's what it used to be called back in the day, but you know, still on the hook for the, uh, the thing, but we talked about that already. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, those are really some of the things I, I think with, with the, the, the positive stuff, really boils down to relationship building and that relationship yeah. is it goes beyond just sending an email like you need to, to to start to learn the people and you only get yeah. to, to to have that relationship by spending time with the people and you only get to spend time with the people by having a a a real good approach to encountering the person up front a yeah. positive a positive encounter up front on the cold leads to a longer relationship and more money in your wallet so what are your final thoughts i think in general, the way just like I think that we could all do better, especially on my side, just like treating the people we are working with like people, like humans, you know, not just a check or not just like a contact. You know what I mean? I I think that that is probably like what I would say is the biggest takeaway, especially from a sales perspective, is making sure that we're keeping in mind that you are an actual person who does. Yeah. What if my buddy really, Steve like says, a lot of really uh, awesome work, you know, the, the human being is as valuable as the human doing. That's my buddy Steve says. So. That's really poignant. That's really right? poignant. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah. I, I was pretty proud of him when he said that. <laughs> He's I coming back. Another... He's going to come do a storytelling oh, cool. episode with me. So Ooh, I love you know. those. Cool. Cool. I think the other thing I would say is don't be afraid of Jordan Harris. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, really... I'm not as I'm not as bad and I'm not as negative as some people say in the industry. Yeah. I know there was after last MRC, there was uh, some I don't even know where it came from or what it was, but uh, some some negative n- people out there I'll trying to say straight. negative things. Yeah, uh, I, no, I think the, the indus- I think straight. I think the overall industry already set them straight, and um, they they were trying to to make something out of nothing. It was actually a positive thing that I did, and they were trying to pretend it and, and spin it as an, a negative. Hmm. narrative to try and uh, I don't even know why get at me but I think that the overall industry had responded to them and said yeah that's not going to happen so yeah but I'm glad to hear that but hey thank you again for your time I really appreciate it we we went a little long here on this one because we just have so much to talk about uh <laughs> I I really want to do thank you for for for, for providing your insight I I really wanted Thanks to have somebody me. on here that would like tell me the other side um, as the last time when I did this, the sales recording, it, I didn't have a person that was on the, the other side. They were kind of more on, on more aligned with my side. Yeah. So I think it's nice to have someone from the other side that, yeah. that can, can give me the feedback as the, the whys of those things. So I yeah. think this was super valuable. So thank you again for your time. Yeah. Uh, we'll get this out before MRC. Everybody have a happy MRC. I promise I didn't mean it to be that negative. These are just the things, but just, just, just things to avoid, you know, but yeah. Thank you again. Always good to see you. Are you going to be an MRC? Oh, you know I am. All right. I well, haven't been since 2019, and I'm so thrilled to be going back. Yeah. Hey, it's it's changed a lot. No, it mm-hmm. it's exactly the same. They have a new food court, I'm told, and there's a speakeasy oh. there. So um, Chase Foster got me a reservation at the speakeasy. So I'm very oh, happy about that. what a guy! I know he's he's just he's the best, and that's why I buy all his shit all the time. <laughs> there we go. Proof in the pudding. Uh, all right. Well, thank you very much for coming back, and uh, we'll be talking soon. Yeah. I'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the show today. Again, I want to thank Sardine for being this episode's sponsor. Be sure to visit them at booth 210 at the MRC and learn all about them from the fraud squad themselves. 
from KYC, onboarding fraud and payment fraud with over 4,000 signals like device, email, and telco to AML monitoring, they ship new features every week and are exactly who you need in your ongoing fight against fraud. Like I said at the top of the show, you're not buying one of the best fraud tools in the market, but the whole fraud squad behind it. Please visit www.sardine.ai to learn more. Thanks again for listening.